0: You know, from the youngest to the oldest among us, we all have experienced difficulties, different difficulties, different trials, but we all have experienced them. From the bully in the schoolyard to the unexpected illness that hit us by surprise, we all face difficulties in life. We all face trials of all kinds. Whether financial reversal or harassment on the job, we all face tough times and trying circumstances. Whether it is dealing with difficult people and unhappy marriages or fear of failure, we all face tough times. And whether you are battling depression or battling a persistent temptation in life, we all face those tough times. Whether it is chronic illness, or crushing loneliness. We all face different kind of trials. We all face different kinds of problems. We all face different kinds of difficulties. Every one of us, it is part of living. But sometimes when we face those blasting times in life, those difficult times in life, we mistakenly call them a thorn in the flesh. I say mistakenly because these are not necessarily the thorn in the flesh that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Those are the garden varieties of trials and difficulties that Paul himself faced a lot more than 10 people in 10 lifetimes. Let me just show you this garden variety of trials and difficulties. That Paul has faced many physical and emotional grief and pain. I'm going to show you what I mean where Paul does not call these difficulties in life, these things that he faced everywhere he went, he doesn't call those a thorn in the flesh. He reserved that term to a very specific thing, which I want to explain to you today. Look at the list. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Legally, they could not get, lash a person more than 39 times because the 40th one is supposed to kill him. So by law, only 39. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And you think you got problems? Every time you think you have problems, I want you to go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and following. That will help you. And yet Paul does not call any of these a thorn in the flesh. Why? Because... A specific thorn in the flesh is often associated with a great blessing from the hand of God. It is often associated with a special power and revelation from the hand of God. And in Paul's case, he was privileged to be taken up to heaven by God himself, and he'd be shown things that he could not even verbalize in words, in human language. He was seen all the glories of heaven. He was given revelations that very few people ever, other than perhaps Isaiah and John, ever seen. And so he said, because I saw all of this, because of all that privilege, it got to my head. And so in order to prevent it from going into my head and make me prideful, God permitted Satan to give me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from taking myself too seriously. And that's really the literal translation. The word thorn here means a splinter or a barb. Is what you see in the barb wire. Or, or sometimes it refers to the end of the hook of a, a fisherman hook. It's so sharp. It's so painful when it penetrates. And the word flesh, the Greek word sarx, which sometimes it's referred to the physical body, other times it's referred to the unregenerated part of us. And here it's really referring to his inner being. The bottom line is this. Whatever the thorn was, wherever the thorn was located, it was painful. Painful. It was hurting badly. It's often buried deep and nobody can see it. Even your nearest and your dearest cannot understand and cannot see and do not have a clue of what's going on with that thorn in the flesh. It's constantly nagging you. It is constantly goading you. It's forever following you everywhere you go. It is something that you cannot talk about to anybody except the Lord. That's the thorn in the flesh. But the most important part is this. Listen carefully. What to do with that thorn. How you deal with the thorn. How you view the thorn in the flesh how you use it as a stepping stone to a blessing can matter. And it can mean the difference between a life of positive living and a life of negative living. It can mean the difference between a life of joy and a life of sorrow. It's that much. It's that much important. Secret number 14, towers, at least in my estimation, Above all the others, the 13 we've seen and the one that is to go. It towers above them all in importance. Why? Because it touches every one of us. Number 14, probably the most important, and I want to tell you why. Because discovering this secret will mean the difference between a joyous life and a sorrowful life. Between a positive life and a negative life. It will mean the difference between having God's power and strength working in you or not having it at all. It will mean the difference between living the victorious life or a defeated life. It will mean the difference between being an overcomer or constantly being overcome. And in the last message, I showed you that God's love for His child, that God's love for His own child, is. And his commitment to his child is permanent. It does not change. It is forever. It never gives up on you. And so, with that commitment that God has for you, his child, with that love that is absolutely immovable, unshakable, that he has for you, not just in this life, but for eternity, how then will he get the attention of his child to whom he is committed, whom he loves so dearly, how is he going to get the attention of a child whose ego is out of control? How does God do this? How is he going to get the attention of his child who begins to take his grace for granted and turn it into a license? How does God get the attention of his child Who takes credit for only God gave him or her? How? How is God going to get the attention of his child who takes himself or herself so seriously? How does God get the attention of his child who takes and takes and takes and then takes some more and only gives the crumbs back to God? How does God get the attention of such a child of his? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Because Paul answers that question. He permits Satan to bring about a thorn in the flesh. Listen, what God uses to get my attention may be very, 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 very different from what He uses to get your attention. God doesn't work with two of us the same way. He uses different ways to get the attention of His children, but I want to tell you something. <laughs> Getting your attention, He will. You can be sure about that. When He gets your attention, two things will happen. You will experience humility, and He will get the glory. Naaman belongs here. I I know you don't like that humility part, (laughs) because it hurts. But listen, I don't want you to misunderstand me. God does not just permit a thorn in the flesh willy-nilly. No, 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 no. He only permits the thorn in the flesh... Only, 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 only when everything else has failed. <laughs> when he tried and tried and tried, but you're not listening. Finally, he permits a thorn in the flesh. So I want you to turn with me now in 2 Corinthians 12. Question number one. <laughs> Do I have a thorn in the flesh right now? I bet so many of you are thinking that, right? Well, am I qualified to get a thorn in the flesh? Oh, I want you to listen, because <laughs> not everybody's qualified. <laughs> do I meet the conditions for a thorn in the flesh? Ah, and what do I have to do to get a thorn in the flesh? <laughs> or really, more likely, <laughs> what can I do to avoid getting one? <laughs> now, if you conclude that you do not have a thorn in the flesh right now, let me ask you in the name of Jesus never to ask for one. Don't pray for one. Please, I plead with you. Let me encourage you not to pray for one. There has to be two elements in play, two components for a thorn in the flesh to operate. Two elements, Paul gives us, or two components that will qualify you for a thorn in the flesh. (laughs) Element number one is that you have to be extraordinarily. Blessed of God, that God had to be extraordinarily good to you, and only you can judge. Because what I think God being extraordinarily good to you, and what you think is good to me, may be totally different. You're the only one who can judge if God has been extraordinarily good to you or not. God has to bless you, had to have blessed you in abundance, in spiritual, material, whatever it may be. God has to overwhelm you with His grace. Component number two or element number two is that you have allowed these blessings, that you have allowed these gifts, that you have allowed these extraordinary things that God have bestowed upon you to get to your head and you take credit for it and become boastful. This is precisely what Paul is saying here in Second Corinthians 12. He said, I was given this incredible revelation that not many human beings can even comprehend, let alone understand me. I was taken to heaven, and I saw these spectacular things. But when these revelations got to my head, God allowed the thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. You know, I personally have a theory. It's my opinion. It is not in the Word of God. It is not in the Scripture. I can't prove it to you. It's merely my, my own opinion. I'm trying to keep emphasizing this so you don't go and say, where did you get that? It's not in the Bible. And my theory about the Apostle Paul and the throne in the flesh is this. At this time when Paul was writing, he was a single man. He did not have a wife. He was not married. He had to have been married before because... As a member of the Sanhedrin, the qualification is to be married. So either his wife died, or his wife has left him after he became a Christian. So he was a single man at this time in his life. And many of the blessings, or one of the many blessings that godly wives have, did you guess it? To their husbands, that they are used of God to act as a vice around our heads. That's one of the gifts that wives bring to husbands. Every time their heads try to get out of shape, they exercise their gifts. <laughs> you can't even verbalize that gift, but it's there. It's a gift. Believe me, it's a gift. And the head immediately goes back into shape. <laughs> you know, I heard about this young preacher who had just been out of seminary. And he went to preach in a small town, small church. And after been preaching for three years, one morning he came up to his wife and he said, Honey, let me ask you a question. How many great preachers do you think in this town? She immediately said, I really don't know. But I can assure you there are one less than you think. <laughs> Man, that takes care of it. That takes care of it in a hurry. So to qualify for a thorn in the flesh... You have to have extraordinary blessing of God and a tendency towards pride for that, taking pride of these blessings from God. Second question, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? <laughs> now, I've got news for you. I mean, people guessed at this for 2,000 years. I looked up about 50, and then I gave up. For 2,000 years, people really tried to take a stab at, try to guess at it. Many of them said, oh, it must must have been physical ailment of some sort. Some uh, said, oh, it must have been migraine headaches. Others said, oh, ophthalmia, malaria, epilepsy, gallstones, gout, uh, rheumatism, intestinal disorder. Others said, oh, it must have been a speech impediment because he said, I'm not eloquent. But the truth is, there is nothing in the text to indicate that this thorn in the flesh was really physical. There's not a thing there to lead us in that direction at all. I told you already earlier in this message, this man endured more pain, more persecution, more harassment than ten people would tolerate in the ten lifetimes. But he never saw his physical pain as a big deal. He never really complained about it. Now, I personally have a theory again. Now, I don't give you those theories very often, but today I'm going to splurge. Okay? You know, it's just, again, it's my theory, and I'll tell you where it came from. We have been seeing week after week after week, message after message after message, that Paul's greatest pain, that Paul's greatest hurt, was coming from the fact that his friend in Corinth have turned on him. That was his greatest pain, and we've seen it in every message. And that hurt him deeply. It pained him greatly. It devastated him severely that they will listen to false teachers and they would listen to false believers and they turn on their friend Paul who led them to the Lord. That pain has been going through the whole book as we have been seeing. And obviously, Paul had difficulty in letting that go. Listen to me. Some of you know this firsthand. When a friend or a family member turns on you for no reason or for a false reason, it is extremely painful. It is painful. Nobody can tell you otherwise. But listen to me. Not letting that pain go and place it under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can hurt you far more than any physical pain that you can experience. But the most important thing about Paul's thorn in the flesh is this. The Holy Spirit deliberately did not lead the Apostle Paul to tell us what it was. It's deliberate on the part of the Holy Spirit who authored the Bible so that every one of us, every one of us, young or old, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of where you come from, every one of us who experience whatever thorn that we may experience, be able to identify with the Apostle Paul. Whether you're going through physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, personal problems, financial problems, whatever it may be, you can look and see how the Apostle Paul viewed his thorn, how he overcame his thorn. And you see that the problem is not pain But how to deal with the pain. The problem is not his hurt, but how he dealt with that hurt. The problem is not the trials of life, but how you deal with the trials of life. Which brings me to the third question How did Paul handle his pain? Was he excited about it? You know, sometimes I hear people, I really, it just makes me squirm inside. When they see a friend going through tough times, they said, oh, rejoice, brother. God has a great thing for you. Wait a minute. I call that foolishness. Paul did not run around and said, oh, praise the Lord. I got a thorn in the flesh. is not great. No, 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 no. He didn't do that. You know what he said? <laughs> he said, I want nothing to do with it. He said, I cried to the Lord. I pleaded with God three times. God, please take it away. Please remove it from me. He pleaded with the Lord. He wanted to be removed. He wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted it out of him. That's what he was doing. He didn't run around and glibly say, Oh, praise the Lord, I got a thorn in the flesh. No, no, no. No. Question number four. Since he didn't deal with it this way, then how did he see that scar in his life as a star instead? How did he go from get me out of this, Lord, which is where we, most of us are when we get into trouble, to saying, Lord, I'm going to brag about my weakness. I'm going to brag about my weakness. I'm going to brag about my failure. I'm going to brag about my suffering. How did he get from here to there? How did he see that these rocks are stepping stones into blessing? How did he turn the serpent's hessing into blessing? Ah, you see, the Lord ultimately ministered to Paul. He spoke to him. And the Lord revealed something to Paul that is vital importance for every one of us, wherever you may be in life today. God said, Paul, my grace is more than enough for you. That's the literal translation. He said, in fact, Paul, do you know what? My power operate its best in your weakness, not in your strength. He said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Here's what most people stumble over. They they stumble over this one. See, when we have problems, when we go through trials, when we are facing tough times in life, our cry to the Lord is, Lord, get me out of this. And that's fine that is absolutely fine. Let nobody tell you you shouldn't pray that. Don't do that. By all means, God wants to hear you pray. But here's the problem. Most of us, including yours truly, when I pray like this, what do I want to hear God say? Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Do you want this immediately or retroactive? (laughs) Right? Come on, be honest now. That's how I want God to answer my, that's how, it's exactly how I'm going to ask, uh, I want God to answer my prayers. I don't want to hear anything else, but yes, sir, and it's immediately. Oh, boy. (laughs) I have been through some disappointments with waiting like this. See, Paul heard the Lord to be saying, Paul, focus on my grace and the power of my grace. Focus on my power that continuously poured in you that will make your weakness look like strength. Focus on this. And Paul immediately concludes. Once the Lord ministered to him, he immediately concludes. He said, God must want me to brag about my weakness. He must want me to brag about my insecurities. He must want me to brag about my failures, not my successes. We all brag about our successes. And Paul knew this because he had the tendency to do it himself. So he said, I'm going to brag about my weakness so that I may continuously receive the power of God in me. So it is not all about me, but it's all about him. In other words, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying to every one of you. He's saying that to me. He's saying, I am not going to dwell upon my scars. He's saying, I am not going to host a pity party for my scars. He is saying, I am not going to go around and say, woe to me. He is saying that I am not going to go around and be controlled by my scars. He is saying, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself because of my scars. He is saying, instead, I am going to see them as God sees them. I am going to see them as a blessing, and not blasting. I'm going to see them as gifts, and not Plagues. I'm going to see them as ability, not liability. He said, I'm going to point to God's power to overcome. I'm going to brag about God's strength in my life. He said, I am going to place my confidence in His security, not my insecurities. He said, I'm going to see those scars for what they are the doorway to God's supernatural power working in my life. Let me tell you this as I conclude. I want to ask you that question. And you ask it to yourself. Because as I already told you, your thorn is different from mine. The way God tried to get get your attention is different from the way He tried to get my attention. So let me ask you, has your thorn created a deep disappointment in your life? Allow that disappointment to become God's appointment for His power to be displayed in you. Is your thorn a feeling of unfulfillment in life? Allow that to be God's opportunity to fulfill His promises to you. Is your thorn a suffering of mental anguish of any kind? Allow that to be God's manifestation of His healing power in your life. Is your thorn a professional failure in your life? Let that be God's opportunity to give you His success, not yours. Is your thorn a physical suffering of any kind? Let that be an opportunity for God's power to flow through you and that you would experience it like you've never experienced it before. Whatever your scar may be, let God show you how it can become a star in your life. Ask God to show you His purpose for you. Ask God to reveal to you His power in you. Ask God to fulfill His promises to you. Ask God to turn around and reveal His glory in the midst of your thorn. Shall we pray? Only God, the Holy Spirit, knows exactly where you are, just as He knows exactly where I am. And if the Holy Spirit has ministered to you, my plea with you is that you would respond. The Bible speaks of God's people of old when they heard and heard and heard, and then they hardened their hearts, and they were rejected because of the hardness of their heart, continuous hardness of the heart. Have you never committed your life to Jesus Christ and received Him as the Savior of your life, the giver of eternal life? Do it today. Have you taken His blessings for granted? Turn it around today. Are you experiencing a thorn in the flesh that would not go away? Say, Lord Jesus, show me. Show me how I may walk in your strength and your power, and not in mine. Our precious Heavenly Father, you are the searcher of all our hearts. You know our thoughts before we think them. You know our intentions before we decide them. You know our motives before we do. And so we come to you in the name of Jesus. Humility, brokenness, in placing ourselves rightfully at your feet. Grateful to be called sons and daughters, children of the living God. Holy Spirit, visit every heart. The one who has never surrendered to you May this day be a day of surrender. The one who's still fighting your plan in their life, let this be a day of giving up so that it may be a day of blessing. Father, I pray that every one of us would say, Lord Jesus, I will be obedient to you. I will serve you in your power and your strength, not in mine. For it is in your name I pray, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.